RTHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning and happy Valentine's Day. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 14th of February. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. Economic growth in Singapore slowed more than expected last year compared for the previous year. GDP growth in the city-state was 3.6%, less than the 8.9% growth in 2021 and below an earlier government estimate of 3.8%. The country's trade and industry ministry kept its GDP forecast for 2023 in a range of half a percent to two and a half percent, saying the growth outlook for aviation and tourism-related sectors in Singapore has improved. And later today, Singapore's government will present its draft budget for the fiscal year of 2023. Annual consumer price inflation in India accelerated to six and a half percent in January. That's the highest in three months compared to 5.7% in December and above market forecasts. Inflation moved back above the Reserve Bank of India's 2% to 6% target for the first time in three months. Later today, Japan's government is set to officially nominate an unexpected candidate to replace Haruhiko Kuroda, whose decade as Bank of Japan governor will end in April. The Japanese government is preparing to nominate university professor and former Bank of Japan board member Kazuo Ueda to be the next BOJ governor, according to local media reports. Michelle Bowman, a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve, has become the latest senior Fed official to warn that tight monetary policy won't end anytime soon. She told a meeting of bankers in Florida, we're still far from achieving price stability and I expect that it will be necessary to further tighten monetary policy to bring inflation down towards our goal. And she added that rates would need to stay at a restrictive level for some time to restore price stability. Investors will be eyeing the latest consumer price index reading from the US due later today to see if inflation has once again cooled. Economists are expecting a 0.4% increase in headline CPI on a monthly basis and a 6.2% gain from the prior year, which will be the lowest reading since September 2021. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Kenny Wen from KGI Asia, Mark Franklin at Manu Life Investment Management, with a view from Japan, it's Nick Smith of CLSA. And of course, please do get in contact. We always do read your messages. Text 6393 5925. Email Money Talk at rthk.hk. We're on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And on Twitter, at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks clawed back some of last week's losses ahead of the inflation report later today. The S&P 500 climbed 1.1% to close at 4,137. The Dow had its best day of the month so far, closing 377 points higher, or 1.1%, to end the session at 34,246. The Nasdaq Composite advanced 1.5% to 11,892. European equities closed higher as investors assessed the monetary policy outlook. The pan-European stock 600 index climbed 0.9%. The UK's FTSE 100 added 0.8%. Hong Kong stocks tumbled at the start of 
trading on Monday, but they recovered from their lows as the day went on. Traders were concerned about escalating US-China tensions and further US sanctions on Chinese firms. The Hang Seng closed 26 points or 0.1% lower at 21,164, having touched 20,800 earlier in the day. The tech index rebounded from losses of 2.2% to close a third of a cent firmer. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.7% to 3,278. Link REIT, Hong Kong's biggest real estate investment trust, sank almost 13%. That's the biggest one-day loss since 2008, after announcing an 18.8 billion Hong Kong dollar one-for-five rights issue at 44 Hong Kong dollars and 20 cents each. That's a 30% discount to its market price. And the rights issue triggered a sell-off in Hong Kong property stocks, with the Hang Seng Property Index slumping over 3%, the most in two months. And sentiment for the local property sector further soured after the Hong Kong Economic Times reported yesterday that Hong Kong officials have inserted a national security clause into land sale tenders. These tenders, which are one of the government's largest sources of revenues, now contain a new clause which allows the government to disqualify bidders on national security grounds. Shares of New World Development dropped almost 7% and Henderson Land fell almost 5%. In the commodities market, oil prices fell after a report that the Biden administration plans to sell 26 million more barrels of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Brent crude oil is half a percent lower at $85.78 a barrel. Gold is down at $1,855 an ounce. In the bond markets, the US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell four basis points to 3.71%, but two-year Treasury yields rose to a new high for the year of 4.53% after climbing 23 basis points last week. And the US dollar index is a third of a percent lower this morning. The Japanese yen weakened past 132 per dollar after whipsawing on Friday following news that Kazuo Ueda is likely to be nominated today to become the Bank of Japan's next governor. It's trading at 132.28 against the, uh, against the dollar. The euro's at $1.07 and a quarter cents. One British pound buys $1.21 and a half cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 54 cents. In offshore markets this morning, the Chinese yuan is at 6.82 versus the greenback and Bitcoin is at $21,700. Around Asia Pacific markets, it's all in the green this morning. In Australia, the ASX 200 up half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen 0.8%. The Cosby has jumped 0.9% at the open. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 140 points higher later on this morning. Eight ten over in our Queensway studio, we have with us this morning Kenny Wen, head of investment strategy at KGI Asia. Morning, Kenny. Good morning. And also with us, Mark Franklin, who is managing director and senior portfolio manager of Multi Asset Solutions at Manu Life Investment Management here in Hong Kong. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Peter. And let me start. Let's look at local markets because quite a lot going on at the moment, isn't there? First of all, just let me get your thoughts on the overall um, sentiment. 
um, shares across Asia Pacific actually uh, were weaker yesterday following the uh, the falls uh, in the US last week. But it does look like that the uh, the Ch- Hong Kong market has run out of steam since the Lunar New Year um, holiday. It's sort of pulled back about seven percent now since it hit a peak uh, near the end of January. Kerry, do you want to kick off? What What are your thoughts? Yeah, sure. I think first of all, the recent uh, consolidation. I won't say it's correction; it's consolidation. It's matter of market forecast because uh, don't forget. At the end of uh, at the end of October last year, Hang Seng Index was around fifteen thousand, and in the early February it rose to twenty. Uh, 22,700. So, in technically, we will say it's a very over buy. Uh, according to our best testing results, when the Hang Seng Index was in 22,700, it around 15% higher than the 15 days moving average. That was two standard deviation beyond the mean. So, mm. a, a consolidation is, is, uh, uh, well understood. Uh, and I think uh, the market sentiment is still relatively positive and the liquidity is also good. So even though I believe the uh, recent consolidation is not finished, but if we don't have further or another round of bad news, I think the further downside will be relatively limited. Uh, but of course, uh, if there was some bad news, for example, tonight we will have the U.S. CPI and then we take a very closely eye on the uh, U.S.-China relationships. If anything uh, bad news coming out, I won't be surprised uh, the Hang Seng Index dropped below 20,000. Don't forget, we have we had uh, 8,000 rally for the past three months. What is it that's driving the local markets are such extremes in both directions. Because you remember during the sell-off last year, I mean, the Hang Seng, the whole Hong Kong markets, was trading on a book value of about 0.6%, uh, well, 0.6 at one stage. And then we've seen the same on the upside, driving it to huge overbought valuations there. Why, why is it doing this? Yeah, I think, uh, as you mentioned, because uh, at the end of October, the market uh, was very uh, oversell uh, in terms of technically indicator, in terms of the valuations. And don't forget for the past three months, uh, the market, especially in US, they are looking, uh, uh, the Federal Reserve will uh, slow down the, uh, the interest rate hike. And also the uh, Chinese government reopened the, uh, the, the, the society. So there's um, a strong belief that we will see rebound in China GDP as well as the corporate earnings. I, thought, I, I remember that in last December when I shared my uh, 2023 market outlook with the media, I expect the China GDP uh, this year will be 5%, which is higher than the markets. But now everyone is looking for 5 on something. So you, you can see there's a, a huge change uh, on the GDP outlook in Chinese. And I would say also driven by the liquidity because for the past few month, uh, actually Japan is uh, 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 launch another round of P, uh, QE because they they have the YCC, UCAF control, so they buy a lot of bonds. Mm. Also during the uh, January, don't forget that the, the PBOC also inject a lot of uh, liquidity before the Lunar New Year. So with the expectation of GDP bounce back and also liquidity, that's why we see uh, the, the market rebound significantly. Mark, I know you look across not just at markets, but you look across a whole range of different asset classes. 
it seems the theme um, really for all the asset classes this year has been this bullish scenario of increased demand, slowing inflation elsewhere in the world. That's all adding to the rebound that we're seeing in the mainland economy. And that's the theme that's really driven equities, bonds, the US dollar um, commodities. It seems, though, to me, a lot could go wrong with that. There's an expectation that we're going to have a a patch of Goldilocks data whereby, as you say, nominal growth picks up because of China's reopening, but actually also the US US economy, the hard data is coming in pretty well. And at the same time, whether it's via base effects or just uh, natural disinflationary forces creeping back into the goods part of the economy, inflation becomes more benign. As you say, we've got the US CPI later today. Um, it's somewhat muddied by the fact that the, um, the authorities have basically done a rebalancing of the, uh, the, the baseline. And so it's, it's hard to predict for sure. But certain categories which had contributed to the moderation inflation at the back end of last year, namely used car prices, they're starting to reaccelerate again. Mm-hmm. And of course, the job state has been very, very strong. So uh, it, it could be tested, this narrative, in many, many different ways. One narrative could, uh, testing could be that the growth data comes in much stronger than expected and people have to recalibrate their expectations for the outlook for inflation. On the flip side, um, you know, the growth side of the equation, if the Fed starts to resume a hawkish tone again, people will have to start discounting that. I think that's somewhere further down the line. For the time being, actually, it looks like the US economy is coming in stronger than the Goldilocks narrative of, of modest growth and moderating inflation. And um, what about the US dollar? How big a driver has that been to um, the various markets uh, this year? Because there's been a lot of dollar liquidity, hasn't there? Well, it's partly a driver and also partly a consequence. So on the consequence side, typically speaking, when there's more risk appetite in markets, people and investors are more comfortable diversifying away from US assets, traditionally seen as safe haven, and buying into, for example, uh, emerging market assets. And so that leads to the selling of, of dollar-based assets and, and the buying of non-dollar-based assets. So there's, there's a consequential impact from better risk appetite. But then there's also a, a driver from, for example, other central banks around the world, namely the ECB, um, sounding more hawkish and therefore on a rate differential perspective, the gap has narrowed somewhat. And ha- what about the increasing US-China tensions? How big a threat is that uh, to global markets? Because things are, are not looking good at the moment, are they? How, how do you play that? I mean, ultimately, if you backtest um, historical market cycles, geopolitics typically has very short-lived impacts on market sentiment and market valuations, with the exception of major exogenous shocks, whether it's the September 11th attacks and so on. For the time being, markets are relatively relaxed about the situation. I think that the, the narrative would be that we're going to go through a prolonged period of decoupling and uh, loosening of economic ties and relationships between the US and China. And and that's one way that we can think about with a certain degree of conviction is that is probably inflationary over the longer run. But whether this converts into something more serious, um, no one really has an edge on that. Kenny, how do you you play that from a a local uh, market perspective, the worsening US-China tensions? Yeah, I totally agree that uh, the, the the geopolitical tension usually will bring only short-life impact. But on the other hand, I think it is a long-term structural problem because uh, you, uh, the China is challenging the U.S. state status. Uh, especially, uh, we are focusing on retail investors, so we always remind that uh, somehow, some way, we need to take consider uh, uh, about the U.S.-China relationships. But uh, really difficult to quantify the impact. Uh, so what we can do is uh, suggest our clients to diversify their portfolios, not only in Hong Kong stocks, and uh, paying attention and keep a close eye on the uh, future developments. 
And what about this frenzy? We spoke about a bit about this yesterday, this frenzy for AI and in particular uh, chatbots. Are, are you buying into that, Kenny, or do you see that as market <laughs> hype? Uh, I know this is a very hot topic recently, but for Hong Kong, we can see a little bit slowdown and we can see some related stocks, their stock price already uh, dropped a little bit. Uh, for me, it is a very attractive investment film, but for long term, I, I need uh, more evidence and more time to see how this type of system software can commercialize and also bring in real impact on the profit and loss. I'm very prudent investor, so usually I will focus on uh, the, the fundamentals, but this types of uh, investment firm we, we, I think is for mid to long term and for aggressive investor to pay a small bet on it. Mark, let me switch to this US inflation report. You mentioned it um, earlier. Michelle Bowman, who's a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve, she's become the latest Fed official to warn uh, that tight monetary policy isn't going to end anytime soon. And obviously we've got the CPI index coming uh, tonight and investors waiting to see if inflation has once again called economists expecting a 6.2% gain from the prior year. It does seem, Mark, like the whole world now is watching this inflation report. Um, and this number is going to dictate where markets go from here. So how, how important is it? I think it will dictate where markets go from here in the very, very short term. But typically what we would advise is that you take pause um, in the immediate aftermath of the data release and perhaps give it one or two trading days to see how it all settles down. The key thing to focus on will be the mechanics under the hood. So looking at various categories and those categories that tend to be stickier over time, for example, the services side of the economy given the US economic structure, even if the headline number and maybe even the core number comes in slightly under expectations, what about those factors which will have greater persistence, uh, particularly with the tight labour market? So mm. the, the, the reality is that the Federal Reserve is not entirely happy with the market discounting as of now, about 30 basis points of rate cuts before the end of 2023 and triple digit basis points of rate cuts in 2024. It doesn't believe that will be the eventuality and wants to try and signal to the market that even if they slow down the pace of rate hikes, their aim is to maintain a higher plateau of rates for longer to make sure that financial conditions remain sufficiently tight to win this battle against inflation. Well, what's got to happen then if we were to get this 30 basis points of, of rate cuts. I'm wondering what investors who believe that's going to happen um, would need to see. It seems to me it's got to be a pretty deep recession, hasn't it, before the Fed would change course like that? No, not necessarily, actually. A strong economy or an economy that confounds expectations of a recession at some point this year will ultimately force that uh, rate-cutting expectation to get priced out. Um, so, and, and that doesn't necessarily need to lead to a destabilisation of, of risk assets. What it will do is it will affect the rates curve, and particularly the front ends that will be forced higher because the yield on two-year government bonds in the US is still slightly below the current uh, base rates, the Fed funds rates, which is still going up. So ultimately there will need to be a repricing there, but it may not have a, a huge impact on the long end, which ultimately will drive uh, market risk premium and risk asset valuations. And it's Jerome Powell that started this, hasn't he, by saying the other week that disinflation um, has started and, and investors sort of focused on that. But it doesn't. It seems it's not, not as simple as that, because as you say, if you, if you look under the hood, there's all sorts of areas of strength in consumer spending that's remained pretty resilient. The jobs market has remained resilient. The housing market is showing signs of picking up again. There's, there's all sorts of ways in which this could be um, upended. 
Yeah, I mean, the 1970s is a very salutary example. Um, in, in the mid-70s, the, the US Federal Reserve uh, ultimately claimed success in getting inflation down. It eased off in terms of its uh, tight monetary policy, and then inflation re-accelerated. I think the parallel that we risk uh, in this cycle is the fact that, that um, the supply side of the economy, whether it's the industrial base or whether it's the commodities complex, there hasn't been a great deal of investment for many years now. So if you see a resurgence in demand, without a you know, consequential supply response, then uh, ultimately you risk a, a renewed rebound in inflation somewhere down the line. And that, that's, that's what needs to be accounted for as, as a potential factor here. Kenny, has the Fed succeeded, do you think, in bringing inflation down without tipping the economy into recession? Uh, we, we focus on the core uh, CPI. I don't think they are... They can say now they are successful, but I, what I say is, uh, the CPI drop to six percent, five percent is relatively easy because driven by the oil prices. The real challenge will be we will stay at four to five because we have the sticky prices uh, from the labor costs and also from the uh, rental expenses. So second quarter will be the key, I think. And how important is this number that's coming out later tonight? Obviously being watched very carefully over in the US, but how important is it for local markets here? Yeah, this is important, especially if the uh, final outcome is, uh, is, is, is significantly higher or lower than the market forecast. It will affect the US stock, it will affect the, the US dollar, and so they will also uh, affect the fund flow. So uh, when the HSI is still under a consolidation period, any bad news will be significant or uh, the impact will be relatively large. Okay, well, thank you very much. You heard that Kenny Wen, who is invest- Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia, Mark Franklin, who is Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager of Multi-Asset Solutions at Manulife Investment Management here in Hong Kong. Just gone 8.24, the Japanese government is preparing to nominate university professor and former Bank of Japan board member Kazuo Ueda to be the next BOJ governor, according to local media reports Friday. On the phone from Tokyo now is Nick Smith, who's Japan strategist at CLSA. Morning, Nick. Good morning, Jim. So this seems to have come as a surprise to investors. Who is Mr. Ueda and what can you tell us about him? Well, exactly, yeah. Um... I mean, I think most people had uh, 10 or a dozen people on their list, and uh, uh, Kazuo Ueda was, uh, was none of them, which is, I mean, no disrespect to him. I'm not saying that he's a nobody. He was a, um, a professor at uh, Tokyo University um, who was uh, taught m- most of uh, Ministry of Finance and, and Bank of Japan and so on. So um, he's got as his uh, deputies... Uh, um, Himino and Uchida, uh, who are um, together a very, very strong team. But um, you've got to ask the question, why? Why, why did you go off uh, the, the normal list? And, um, and is it the case that, uh, that neither Nakaso nor uh, Amamiya wanted the job? And if that was the case, then should we be worried? Um, but yes, he's a, um, he got his... Uh, PhD at uh, MIT under Stanley Fisher, um, a very uh, impressive guy as the the, ba- the governor of the Bank of Japan. And is this a done deal? I know that it's talk- the Japanese government, according to the reports, anyway, is going to nominate him today. Can this still be derailed in uh, uh, in Parliament? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, on um, 
Monday last week, the, the Nikkei, he was running a front page story saying it was uh, Amamir and it was a done deal. And, and then on Friday, it was saying actually not at uh, Ueda. Um, it's certainly the case that um, Kishida um, is from the fourth weakest, uh, fourth biggest faction in the um, uh, ruling Liberal Democratic Party. It's always possible that the um, the other factions say, no, this isn't the guy that we want. We want more of a, uh, a, a dub or, or there was some particular person they wanted. It's always possible that the uh, the opposition stop it, although uh, I, I think the opposition is uh, is too weak to do anything to anybody at the moment. Uh, so I would have thought that the, the probability is pretty high that um, that by about the 20th we'll have this uh, passed in both houses and you'll uh, um, uh, set for her starting work on the 9th of April. And what does it mean for monetary policy in Japan? Does he support the current ultra-loose monetary policy and, and wants to continue it? Because he, he was quoted as seeming to say that uh, last week. Or, or, or are we likely to see a shift away um, from uh, this ultra-loose monetary policy and yield curve control, which a lot of people have been calling for? Sure. I mean, I think um, if you look, he would today, um, an interview obviously in Japanese and the, uh, the Nikkei, um, mid last year, talking about um, arguing against uh, hasty uh, tightening, and yet there was a, uh, an interesting uh, talk that he gave to uh, East Asia Forum in November of 2016, where he said um, the BOG J seems to be reaching its limits. It owns more than a third of the government bond market. Function of the market has deteriorated significantly. It's unclear uh, how long the bank can keep buying JGBs at the current pace. That was when the the BOJ owned uh, a third of the market. Now it owns an estimated uh, 56% of the market. It's been buying incredibly fast. So since mm. the beginning of December, uh, it's it bought 43 trillion yen, 7.8% of GDP, just to uh, to try and defend its uh, yield curve control um, at the uh, at the long end. So I think that um, that is probably getting close to. Um, uh, to unsustainable, it would make much more sense to let the um, yield curve ce- uh, ceiling go up to, say, 75 basis points, just so that it's, um, it, it wasn't requiring so much to, uh, to defend it. So I think probably during this year we'll get some moves in the um, yield curve ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he's going to take his time about um, getting out of negative interest rates, but... Um, I think that uh, inflation is going to surprise the upside in Japan. I mean, on, on, on that point about what the, the Bank of Japan has been doing, it, it seems to me that um, being the next Bank of Japan governor is just going to be a horrible, horrible job because um, the, the legacy of Haruhiko Kuroda, when you look at what he's done, I mean, he's bought assets built up assets substantially more than Japan's GDP. It's, it's monetary policy on steroids. It seems like it's going to be an almost impossible job now to get out of this. Well, yes, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's true, that any small misstep and, uh, and, and you get a lot of problems. So when you heard that it was, um, was, was going to be redder, um, my first thought was, oh, my goodness, uh, why don't the other people want it? That reminds me that uh, that things are, are quite unstable, that the BOJ has been enabling the government in spending more and more. So if you look at the uh, the bonds outstanding, it's uh, uh, it's quite concerning, um, although the, the bonds not held by the Bank of Japan have been going down. 
and that's uh, concerning in of itself. So it looks a bit like the 1930s Japan of, um, of helicopter money that resulted in um, hyperinflation in the, uh, the late 1940s. So this is going to take a lot of careful handling. I think they've got a very strong team there. Uh, the, um, the new governor and both of his deputies, very impressive uh, people. Uh, but um, certainly they'll, they'll need all of that. Okay, Nick, it's always great to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Nick Smith, who's Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo right now, the Nikkei 225 up 0.7%. In Australia, the SX200 has declined about 0.5%. The Cosby, uh, sorry, is up 0.5%. The Cosby in South Korea also up um, about 0.7%. Looks like we're going to see a gain um, in the Hang Seng of about 120 points or so at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, back chat with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. Weather forecast for today. Going to be mainly cloudy, one or two rain patches at first. Bright periods, temperatures are going to rise to about 19 degrees during the day. And then tomorrow, uh, temperatures are going to fall to about 13 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of good degrees lower uh, in the new territories. Temperature right now is 17 degrees. It's 64% relative humidity. There is a strong monsoon signal in force right now. <laughs> Times 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. A property analyst says the authorities are likely to see yet more land sale tenders fail because developers don't have much appetite for new projects at the moment. Peter Churchhouse from Portwood Capital was speaking after the MTR Corporation announced yesterday that it had rejected all three bids it received for the development of the first phase of its Oyster Bay project on Northern Lantau. It's the third failed tender for property development this year and the second this month. Mr Churchhouse said market sentiment was weak. Generally speaking, consumer sentiment in Hong Kong is pretty fragile right now. Interest rates are rising, as we all know, and that's having an impact both on the supply side and the demand side. So it increases the costs of the developers and also perhaps reduces the demand from the consumer. The cost of construction is rising quite rapidly, or has been rising quite rapidly. And as we know, property prices in Hong Kong residential are down about 16% since their peak. The Honorary Life President of the Hong Kong Automobile Association says the government made the right decision in postponing the launch of its new e-toll system for tunnels. Wesley Wan says many drivers still haven't applied nor received their toll tag. He told RTHK the government should have been better prepared and needed to do more to publicise its scheme, especially to commercial drivers. I think this is the right decision to postpone the program because since uh, many drivers have not applied or did not receive the ETO yet, actually I haven't applied yet too. I think they underestimated the program because they've only issued, I think, more than 300,000 of them. And the funny thing is I heard that they are out of stock. The transport department should know the exact number of the vehicles that require the ETO, so this shouldn't be happening. HK eToll was meant to be rolled out at the Qingsar control area by the end of this month, but has been delayed by three months.
Around 90,000 people have held a protest outside Israel's parliament in Jerusalem against a controversial judicial reform plan proposed by the government. Protesters held banners reading Save Israel's Democracy as the former Prime Minister Yair Lapid told the crowd the new far-right coalition would turn Israel into a dark dictatorship. The Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu criticised the actions of the opposition politicians. I call on the leaders of the opposition, stop it. Stop deliberately dragging the country into anarchy. Get a hold of yourselves. Show responsibility and leadership, because you're doing the exact opposite. And I want to tell you one more thing. Most citizens of Israel don't want anarchy. They want a substantive dialogue, and in the end, they want unity. You're listening to the news on RTHK.